if you're at that point where you really do need something to supplement yeah. learning, reading, especially in preparation for school, Hooked on Phonics did work for me. Hello, Ben. How are you doing? Doing well. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I, I got to ask you because I think everybody wants to follow up. How's your foot? It's doing well. Um, I've had a few boys jump on it every now and then, but uh, I grin and bear it. Yeah. And press on. And hobble on. Hobble on. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think it's any better? now than it was a week ago when we last spoke because of the injuries you keep sustaining from these wild oh, boys. Oh, it's definitely better. I think all the muscles have relaxed and all of that around it. So now it's just the bone that hurts. That's good. So when they jump on it, it's just the bone that's hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's just the bone. It's just the bone. It's just cracking it a little more every time. Oh my goodness. So today we're talking about helping our kids fall in love with reading. Mm -hmm. And originally I was thinking that we might talk about why reading is important, but I feel, I feel like that's a topic we can, we can cover and should cover at some point. But I wanted to talk to folks who believe that already, who really feel like, you know, reading is important, but maybe are looking for ways that they can, uh, for practical things they can do to help their kids fall in love with reading to, to kind of get them into, into that zone of, of really enjoying reading. And, and I feel like we've gotten our kids there. Yeah. It's taken a lot of intentional work. Yeah. I almost don't, I don't want to say it takes a lot of work because it, it really, when you get into the rhythms of it, it really is very enjoyable. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I think it, it takes work up front because you know, kids aren't always wired to pull out a book, especially boys from what I mean, that's all we have. But from what I understand, I, I remember reading some statistics about boys not really enjoying reading as much as girls do. And I, I can't remember what the reasoning is for that. It's something to do with the brain. But that was one of the things that made me realize that it was really important to yeah. teach our boys to love reading. When I was growing up, I remember being read to quite a bit. And then that sort of tapered off as I got older. Yeah. And, and so I, th I think about that a little bit now because our boys are so young. But Jaden, you know, he's eight. He's going to be, you know, just around the corner. He's going to be 10. And so I, I wonder how we maintain that with him, too. And, and I have some ideas here that I kind of want to bring out okay. around that as well. but. But for me, as I got out of childhood and, and started becoming a young, or, or I'm sorry, an older boy, and, and then getting into being a young man, I enjoyed reading. I definitely enjoyed certain books every once in a while, just picking something up and, and getting into a story. It was mostly like Stephen King yeah, or Michael Crichton. I, I got into the Jurassic Park books. Sci-fi and scary stuff. Yes, but but I didn't maintain a practice of reading regularly. Mm -hmm. And part of me really wishes I had 
Yeah. I think it begins in childhood. I think that sometimes you have trouble even maintaining it today, but it's because, you know, you didn't have the practice growing up. And see, I'm the, I'm the daughter of a librarian. So, you know, we went to the, the library once every week, at least sometimes it was more than that. And my mom read to us all the time. And so books became just a normal thing for me. Yeah. Just a normal part of life. That kind of helps having a librarian for a mom. Yeah. Or even just having someone who loves reading. So this is, this is the key for me. This is where it all begins. And really all of these other practical steps hinge on this one, this first very important step. And that is reading out loud. Mm -hmm. If, if you as a parent are reading out loud to your kids, that's one of the most powerful things that you can do for them to develop that love for reading outside of them actually taking the time to read themselves. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's a book called the read aloud handbook by Jim. I think his last name is Trelease is how you say it. But I read that really early on when I think we hit, we only had one child and he was really new, but I just wanted to know some ways that we could encourage literacy and literature and all of those. And there's a quote from that book that I still remember. Um, and he said the single most important activity for building the knowledge required for eventual success in reading is reading aloud to children. Yeah. And so that's, that's a huge important statement because if we, we don't even have to focus on teaching our kids to read, all we have to do is read to them. That's kind of nice. Yeah. Because I had the hooked on phonics thing when I was growing up. Yeah. And nobody enjoyed that. Yeah. My, my mom did it with me and, and I could tell every time we had to sit down to, to do that, she's like, okay, we have to do this thing. And it is, it is very beneficial if you, if you're at that point where you really do need something to supplement yeah. Learning, reading, especially in preparation for school. Hooked on Phonics did work for me. <laughs> Isn't that? It's like a, yeah. The logo or the slogan. Yeah, the slogan. Yeah. So reading aloud and and really starting from day one. And literally right when the baby arrives, before you allow the doctor to take them and clean them up or do whatever they do at the hospital, you <laughs> say, wait a second, doc. Let me read. No. Good night, man. You're silly. No, but I, I do remember when our twins were, they were in NICU, the neonatal intensive care for a while. I think it was three weeks, 21 days. And I remember going up to see them after our boys were asleep and with a sitter. And I brought a book to read to them every single time we were there. And people would laugh, but it was Cormac McCarthy's The Road, which is like, sci-fi kind of you know like intense yeah book. but it's just it's it doesn't matter that they can't understand it they're hearing the language they're hearing their parents speak and there's something comforting about that they find comfort in words so what you're saying is i could read asher a stephen king book and that would be okay yeah he won't remember it i was reading him animal farm yeah i remember that yeah that's kind of a crazy messed up book too. Yeah, it is, but he won't get it until he's like in high school. So 
when, when I think about reading out loud, one of the things that, well, this, this came naturally to me, but I feel like maybe it doesn't for some people. And, and I want to challenge you to try reading in character voices. Yeah. So reading 101, when there, when there is more than one character in the book, you want to at least give some kind of differentiation in your voice so that the person listening can tell who's speaking. But it's even better when you can take on a persona for that voice. So what I like to do is I like to really get into the part. Yeah, you do. And you don't, you don't have to go all out, but, but the thing that that accomplishes is the entertainment factor. And, and we talked about this a little bit in the last episode where the fun of that, the entertaining part of that really creates more engagement. It allows the, it allows the child to engage even more in what, what you're reading them and they feel immersed in the story as opposed to just hearing somebody read the words on a page out loud. And, and of course, if you're, if there are sound effects, you make sound effects. <laughs> I've gotten really good at making sound effects, but there's one book I still have trouble with where you have to make a sound effect for dropping marbles uh-huh. on the floor. That one's really difficult. Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. There's this, this book that, BJ Novak wrote called the book with no pictures and it's a picture book or it's, it's written as a picture book, but it has zero pictures, but it just, it goes through and it, I don't know if anybody's read it, but it goes through and it has these words, like it makes the reader say these certain words that are just really goofy. Yeah. And there's this video of BJ reading it to a group of children and the way that he's reading it to them, you know, he, he's kind of in that silly silly mood. Yeah. And so they catch on to that and it's just, it's hilarious. It's hilarious to see these kids get so much value from this book that doesn't even have pictures. I mean, they're little kids too. They're in kindergarten and first I'm thinking. Well, and and you think about the power of that, the connection that they make in their minds when they see somebody reading a book and they're having a good time with it. They say reading is fun. Reading is enjoyable. Yeah. Reading is rewarding. And, and that association over time really just deepens their ability to sit down and pick up a book and find enjoyment in that. And, and I think that's kind of what's been difficult for me now as an adult is it's, it's a little bit of a labor. Mm-hmm. And because my association with the enjoyment, the entertainment side of it isn't as strong, I have difficulty working through the first few chapters sometimes. Yeah. You should, you should try audiobooks. Well, that's on our list. They're very entertaining. Um, I did want to say also that sometimes the voices and things like that can, can, can be hard to do. And sometimes we feel a little self-conscious. Like sometimes I feel a little bit self-conscious about making these silly accents, Yeah, but the kids just eat it up. But I do remember, uh, I think it was last summer we were reading Robin Hood and the dialect in that book was extremely hard for reading aloud. And so I think about halfway through, I was, I finally said, we need to get the audiobook because <laughs> I am not doing this book justice because, yeah. you know, I was trying to do the whole roguish English accent and it just wasn't working. So 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite as good an actor as the people who do audiobooks. And so sometimes you can count your losses and you can halfway through change to the audiobook. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, and the the audiobook is a lot of fun. One, because there's a professional reading it who can do the voices. and uh, But it's also something we've used to kind of run in the background mm-hmm. while the kids are doing something else, whether they're playing or maybe they sit down to have lunch and, and we've got an audiobook playing. And think about that as opposed to having a TV on while they're playing or having a TV on while they're sitting down eating lunch. They're still, they're still getting some kind of outside stimulus, but it's, it's a book that's being read to them. Yeah. It's a story and their brains are making up the pictures to go with it. Uh, Every morning for about half an hour while the boys are playing, I, we've lately, we've been reading rump and I can't even remember the author. I'll have to put that in show notes or something. Rump. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a different take on the whole Rumpelstiltskin story and it's a, it's a middle grade reader, but uh, but they have enjoyed it even when they're like playing and they're, you know, the trains are speaking to each other and stuff like that. They're still hearing the language every now and then I'll hear the, tw- the twins laugh about something that's said on the audiobook. Usually yeah. it's the name rump. They're mm-hmm. like, ha ha rump. <laughs> Cause isn't rump another word for booty. Yeah. Boys. Yeah. Another important thing that you can do is make reading accessible. And what I mean by that is having age-appropriate books and also having them in places where they're physically easy to get to, having specific times set aside in their schedule that they can anticipate when they know that books will be read. Yeah. Uh, those, those things. So you said you read Animal Farm too. Asher. Yeah. But what making reading accessible might look like for him here in a few months will be getting him one of those indestructible. Oh yeah. We already have one. Right. I mean, I already got him one. Yeah. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. Good. That he can sit and flip the pages and chew on and it, you know, he can squeeze in and makes noises. And then just on, on through the ages, think about, and, and you can even do some of your own research and find a lot of information about what books are good for different age groups. Oh yeah. There's, there's another book called what to read when, and it's by Pam Allen. We can put that in show notes also. Yes. Uh, But it, it goes through even emotions. Like when kids are dealing with certain emotions, here are the books that you can read to them. And it's just Mm. a very valuable resource. We have that on our shelf. Yeah. So I, I have to say that I was surprised at how efficient our twins, when they were between one and a half and two years old, yeah, they were so efficient at tearing apart those board books. Board books, I, yes. I thought, oh, here's here's a board book. They, you know, they're not going to be able to destroy that. Oh my gosh! Within minutes, it was like every single day. And so, our challenge was trying to figure out how do we still let them have books and let those books be accessible to them but not have every book in our library destroyed. <laughs> I've really had to let go of my desire to see books well taken care of. Yeah. And I, I do tell the boys, Hey, you need to stop standing on those books. Yeah. You need to stop throwing. We don't throw them. Books. We don't stand on them. But, but if I, if I was so worried about how well put together those books were and, and every once in a while, 
you know, pages will get torn and ripped and I can tape them up, but I just, I don't have time to keep up with maintaining all of the books. Yeah. We, I mean, we have a ton of books too. I mean, we have a library in our house, literally there's a room that's just a library. Yeah. And our office in our bedroom is also, what does it have? Four bookshelves full of books, uh, five. five bookshelves. That's the same in the library. And then the older boys room has two bookshelves filled with books because we, you know, over the years, that's what the boys ask for, for gifts are books and things like that. So we, we have, we are surrounded by a ton of books. And so we, we have to let go of the, I mean, I have my certain books that I don't let them destroy the the Dr. Seuss ones are the ones that get me. I'm like, that's but that's a Dr. Seuss yeah. book. <laughs> yeah. Poor Dr. Seuss. But you know what? He was all about letting kids he was all about kids and early literacy. So Yeah. He would probably love to see our Dr. Seuss books with the falling out pages and I mean that's that's a sound effect challenge is that one Mr. Brown can moo. Can you? Oh yeah. So many that's sound effects. One. Yep. So another thing that we can do is talk about the stories together Mm -hmm. afterwards. And depending on their age group, it may be a very short conversation. Yeah, definitely. But one of the, one of the things that we continue to do with, uh, with Jaden, our older one, he and I are reading a star Wars book together. And so he and I can sit down and we can talk about the star Wars characters and what's happening in the story and where he thinks it's going to go next. and, And that kind of thing. And, what I love about that is it it's not only helping them to further enjoy and, and feel a connection to the story that was read to them, but it's also sparking that creative element in their own minds, thinking about where the story might go, thinking about what story they might tell next after this one was done and, and those sorts of things. And this, the storytelling element is something that's really important to me personally when it comes to the work that I do. But really storytelling is something that you use in many different areas of life as an adult. And so developing that early on by taking the time to talk about stories can be really powerful. Oh yeah. I remember last, I think it was last summer. We also, I had a whole summer reading list for the boys. There were I suppose we could talk about this too, because we're coming up on summer and the kids are going to be out of school, but mm-hmm. we, we had books that they would read themselves. And then we had audio books that we would either read together or they could read on their own. And then we had books that I would read aloud to them. And one of the books that I read aloud to them was old yeller, which is like one of the saddest book for mm, books yeah. for kids because the dog dies or he, he has to be shot actually. S- spoiler alert. Well, yeah, okay. Sorry if if somebody hasn't either seen the movie or read it. But I remember sitting in their bedroom and uh the two older ones, I think Asa was what 5 at the time and Jaden was 7 and they were just like, "Oh my gosh, that's so sad." And you know, Asa almost started crying. And so we were able to talk about the whole why did this have to happen and what what could they have done instead and you know, it was kind of a, just a really important conversation that we got to have about this really sad thing that happened in a book. Yeah, that that was a tough book, but 
think about how powerful that is to a lot of books have happy endings. A lot of, well, I'll say this, you find, and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. This is just my opinion. You find more reality in books than you do in movies. Yeah. Movies want to protect the hero. They want to give you the happy ending. And most of the movies that don't really have a happy ending or are a little bit closer to reality tend to be the ones that are kind of out of reach for children. Yeah. And so literature introduces reality much earlier. And in a more gentle way, I think. Yeah. Because they get to use their imagination for that and not see it on a screen. I, I don't think I would let my boys watch the movie Old Yeller yet because it's just, I remember seeing it as a kid and it's just really sad. It's depressing, yeah. you know? If you love a dog, it's depressing. <laughs> But it's at the same time, if you're thinking about grief and death and, and those things as just a reality of life and, and sure you can, they're, they're bad and they're difficult to deal with, but think about how you're equipping your children emotionally to move through those experiences when they're exposed to those kinds of things through literature. Yeah, Definitely. Did you, uh, there was a question in the chat. I don't know if you wanted to bring it in. I would love to. Are you talking about the one from Damien? Yes. Yes. You can go ahead and read it. Okay. Uh, Damien says, how do you know when a child has developed intrinsic motivation toward reading? It's a good question. You know, honestly, when Jaden, our oldest, he must've been between five and six, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was around that time that he was just reading books on his own. Yeah. It was, it was the Harry Potter series. I yes. Believe. Oh, he was obsessed with Harry Potter. And, and so around that time, just walking around the house, we almost never encountered him without a book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't, that doesn't really answer the question. How do you, how do you know? I, I think, you know, when you, when you see it, but well, and I was going to say, it's not, it's not just that every opportunity they have their reading. I think it goes deeper than that. Uh, because Asa, our second child, he likes to read, but he's not like his older brother where like he always has a book right. with him because, you know, anytime we're going somewhere, Jaden runs back in the house to get a book. But Ace is not like that. He's he's fine going anywhere without a book, but he still enjoys reading. And I think that the way you can tell that they are intrinsically motivated to do that is the enthusiasm they have around reading. So when I was doing my snuggle time with Asa earlier this week, I mentioned to him that I was going to have this summer reading list for him and that I would have 10 books on his list that he would read for the summer. And he was super excited about that. And I think that you can tell from little things like that. Like if you're giving them a reading list and they're not, oh man, I don't want to do this, you know? Um, and so I guess the question after that would be, how do you help them develop an intrinsic motivation to read? And I think the answer to that is just introducing them to stories that they like and, and not, not being so focused on your own agenda 
that you discourage them from reading certain things. Because I remember when our our oldest was really, I mean, he still is really, really interested in comic book type things. Like right now he's reading some Legend of Zelda comic book thing. And he went through all the Captain Underpants and all of those. And that's not my cup of tea for reading. Yeah. I'm I'm not a big comic book fan, but that is still reading and it's still introducing them to stories that are valuable and stories they can learn from. And so I, I think those are some ways is just, you know, to continue encouraging them to develop that reading and, and figuring out what they like and what they would best be suited, you know, what, what they would enjoy reading the most. Sometimes that's the, the hard part because a book, and this is, this is speaking as somebody who does still have a difficult time reading. Mm-hmm. When I sit down to read a book that I've never read before, that maybe somebody has been able to tell me a little bit about, maybe I've been able to read the back cover or something, but it's a commitment and you do have to do some work getting to know the characters, getting to know the setting. And, and sure, if the author is a really good author, they're going to be able to draw you into that story pretty easily, but still it, it, it feels like a commitment and, and you know, that saying you can't judge a book by its cover. Well, yeah, you do. And, and, but you do, right. I, I hate that saying because the, the truth of the matter is whatever the title is or whatever the, the cover art looks like that influences, that influences the way that I think about how I will experience this book. Mm -hmm. And, we had an we had a situation a couple of months ago with Jaden where we wanted to start a book and and he said, No, I don't wanna or or we we had given him a book to read and said, Here, we think you'll like this. And he said, nah, I don't know. And he didn't he didn't really get into it. And then I can't remember if you or I started reading some of it to him or if he started listening to the audio book. I think I think version. he ran out of things to listen to. Like he had already listened to all yeah. his audiobooks, and that was the only one he hadn't listened to. And he started listening to it. Yeah. So we, so we put it in and he started listening to it and then he started getting to know the characters. And then before you knew it, he was all about that book. Yeah. He, well, he went through the whole series in yeah. like two weeks. And that's kind of, I, I wanted to talk about this because, because Jaden is getting older. I'm, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about how do we continue fostering that love for him? But, you know, we have, we have five other boys who are going to, well, really three other boys who haven't even started learning to read yet. Yeah. How do we know they're going to fall in love with reading right away? What if we have to catch them later on? You know, how can we do that? And I, I think it still comes back to this reading aloud thing and knowing your child, knowing what they enjoy, the things that they're interested in helps because then you might be able to find a book that matches their personality, that matches their interest and start reading it out loud to them. Yeah. Set aside a time to do that. It sounds funny reading a book out loud to a 12 or a 13 year old, but honestly, as an adult, I enjoy sitting down and just listening to you read. Yeah. I read to you all the time. It's a lot less work for me. I don't do voices though for you. I feel kind of silly. <laughs> you really should. I I would enjoy that a lot. Uh, I did want to say also that the I think the intrinsic motivation looks differently. I think I might have 
alluded to this earlier, but I think it looks differently for every kid and we can have our idea of what that should look like. But I think it's just really an individual thing. Yeah. Because when I think about at least the three in our house who can read now, you know, one of them has more of an inclination to take a book everywhere, everywhere. One of them usually only pulls out a book if it's, you know, our normal reading times. And then another one complains almost about having, I mean, he's learning phonics right now, but he complains about having to read a book until he gets into it. And then he's really excited. So I think it just looks different. Yeah. And this whole time that we've been having this conversation, I've been thinking in terms of fiction, but, but also nonfiction, finding subjects and topics that they're interested in. It's, it's such a strange time right now because the things that you want to learn about, the things that you want new information about are so easy to find so much easier to find online Yes, than they are to sit and find in a book. And I can't remember if you and I were talking about this, where when, when you're looking for a piece of information, now who was I talking to? I can't remember. It's okay. But when you're looking for a piece of information, we've gotten kind of lazy in, in a sense, because we can just look for that one specific piece of information. Yeah. But if you're reading to find it or you're researching to find it in books, often you at least have to read the chapter around whatever that piece of information, if not the whole book. And so you get a fuller experience that way. Oh yeah, you get so much more information and you may not remember it all, but it all gets filed away somewhere. Yeah. So that, that's, that's more on the side of why it's important, but I, I do want to encourage that as an alternative to just reading fiction. If there's something that your child is interested in, yeah, find, find, find a book that talks about that and let them have the experience of learning that information through a book rather than just finding it online. Yeah. Last year we, one of our summer goals was to read three biographies and we read Helen Keller and who was the other one? It was a scientist. I can't remember, but anyway, we read three biographies and the boys love, I mean, they love those as much as they did the fiction stuff because it was real life people and inspirational people. Oh, one was George Lucas. Oh yeah. You read that. Yeah. Oh, that, and that was such a cool thing when, when Jaden connected with the star Wars story, mm-hmm. he was interested in, you know, who created this story. Yeah. And, and so he learned about George Lucas and that led him to being interested in filmmaking. Yep. And, and that's, that's another way that you can help this love of reading is, is you can show your child there are ways to connect. So, so you really enjoyed the story, but you can, you can learn about the more about the time period in which this story took place. You can learn about the real people. Mm -hmm. You can learn about the people who wrote that story Mm -hmm. and, and what motivated them or what inspired them to create that. You can, you can learn about the specific tools that were used by this character in this story. Yeah. There's so much information around stories. You could, you can go buy a book that's, that is dedicated to telling you about the Millennium Falcon. (laughs) Did I pronounce that correctly? Is it Falcon? No. Millennium Falcon. No. Falcon. I don't know. 
Um, there's another question earlier that we missed. I don't know if you want to. Yeah, go ahead and bring it in. It was from Corey Miller. He said, how do you balance reading books and building those skills and also staying relevant with how the world is now? Stay tuned so for the like next episode. screens and technology. You don't want to go into that? No. I, well, I'm sorry. I don't mind going into a little bit. I feel like that is a good topic, though, we, and one that we should definitely do an episode on. Yeah. But that's, for us, it's been a little bit easier because we didn't start with technology. Right, yeah. We didn't already have a lot of, I don't know, we have we have our phones and our computers and we've got one TV downstairs that sometimes is out and sometimes it's put away. So there, there are screens, but we, we didn't start out making that, I guess, a normal thing. Yeah. And so our boys didn't really come to expect it. Well, I think the question might also be asking about e-readers and things like that. And I, I still don't know exactly where I stand on that kind of stuff, but I do know that the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends no screens before the age of two. Yeah. And so, you know, reading picture books and things like that on e-readers, I just don't do that. Um, but I am kind of on the fence about some of the early readers, you know, middle grade novels and things like that, that you can get as a Kindle book or some other kind of e-reader. I don't really know. I'd have to do more research and maybe some experiments in our house. Um, I do know that there is some research that indicates when you read things on a screen rather than in a book, it doesn't stick in your brain as much. So you tend to forget the story easy, more easily. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's just been proven through studies that anything tactile tends to stick in your brain a little bit more. So yeah, just the, the same thing with writing out something on a piece of paper versus typing it. Yeah. But even typing it is better than just saying it out loud. <laughs> so one final thing I had here was to, oh, back on the technology thing. I, I did have a note in here about incenting reading with movies. Hmm. And I don't know how you feel about that, but I don't think you should incentivize reading at all. Okay. All right. <laughs> did you just deflate? No, no, I didn't deflate. I, I, I wasn't sure what to expect when I, uh, when I typed that out, I thought, I, I wonder what Rachel will think about that. Nope. So maybe, maybe incent is not the right word. Incentive. You mean? No, to, to incent. Incentivize. Yeah. You can say incentivize. I don't think incent is. I thought that was a verb. <laughs> I should read more. <laughs> when I was, when I was a kid. And I wanted to watch Jurassic Park. I remember my mom telling me, you've got to read the book first. And I'm so glad that she oh, did. Oh, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Oh, I don't think that that's an incentive. I thought you were saying, like, if you read this many books, you get to watch a movie. Oh, sorry. I don't think you should do that. Okay, okay. Well, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, maybe the, the heading was faulty. Okay. So, so you're saying, like, when we read Old Yeller then they could watch the movie. Yeah. Something, Once he read. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, the, and I'm really glad that she did that yeah. because what it forced me to do is it, it forced me to imagine what these characters look like in my own mind. 
forcing me to imagine the world that they inhabited in my own mind. Yeah. Instead of depending on or relying on somebody else to create that for me. But then it made watching the movie a completely different experience because one could argue that it's, it's not as enjoyable because you already know where the story's going. Yeah. But it's kind of, it's kind of like watching a movie a second time. You pick up different details and you get to see it from a different angle. You get to pay closer attention to things that you weren't able to pay close attention to before. And you also get to enjoy somebody else's interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that a book is good to read first because there's just a lot more in a book. Yeah. Well, and certainly there's a whole lot more room in a book to go deeper with the details than there is in a movie. Mm -hmm. Unless you're making a Lord of the Rings movie and then you just take up, you you split up. One small, tiny little book. Into four separate movies. No, it was three, wasn't it? I suppose it was, it was three. three. You're right. It was three. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't do that thing where they, they take what should have been the third and they split that into two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is up with that trend? Well, it's, it makes money. By the way, I got to say that Sean is backing me up here in the chat room <laughs> saying that I did use the word incent correctly. So thank you, Sean. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. Now we have a new word in our vocabulary. <laughs> you do. I already had it apparently. <laughs> so, and then the, so the for the final note I have here just as as important as reading aloud is as the children get older, this is something that I plan to do uh even starting now with Jaden is find a book that he and I can read together but separately. So kind of like you would a book club where you you decide on a book and you say, okay, we're going to read this book and then we're going to come back in a month and we're going to talk about it. And one, the reason I like that is because it fulfills the talking about the stories thing, Uh which we talked about earlier. But two, as they get older and as they're reading books, the, the books are a form of influence and you might find something and, and, start to read it with them and it, and it says some stuff in there that you don't fully agree with personally and you get a chance to sit down and and talk to your child about that afterwards. Uh-huh, yeah. And that's one of the, the that can be an episode too just talking about external influences on character and that kind of thing as your child grows. It's it's difficult for me to think or or I I guess I I worry a little bit over the fact that there are a number of influences that will come into our children's lives that will shape who they are, that will shape who they will become that we just won't have any control over. Yeah. Especially once they go to school, but that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Not necessarily. What we're doing right now is we're building a foundation for them, but ultimately they've got to decide they're the ones who are going to live with themselves. Yeah. They've got to decide who they're going to be based on, what they experience from the outside world and, and they've got to make those choices for themselves. And so early on, 
what I would, what I would rather have is a, the kind of relationship with my kid where I can sit down with them and hear what they think and, and hear what they believe and not try to push my own personal agenda on them versus them knowing that if they sit down with me and try to have that conversation, I'm just going to try to convince them that I'm right and be afraid to have that conversation with me at all. And so I feel like this is a way that really early on we can establish that kind of openness in, in conversation around something as seemingly innocent as literature. Yeah. That will eventually lead to the kind of connection that we want to have in order to be able to have those conversations as they get older. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's what they learn from stories is that one, they're not alone. And two, they get the rich dynamic of other people's experience. I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole other topic about how reading can teach you how to empathize with people because you're, you're actually entering the story of someone else. I did want to say two things. Okay. And one is about the importance of dads, especially for boys mm-hmm. reading. Yeah. I read really early on that it's really important for dads to show that they enjoy reading so that their boys learn that they enjoy reading. And I don't know if that's the same for moms and daughters. Um, but I do know that uh, boys lag behind girls in reading statistics, statistically speaking. And so encouraging boys to read. I mean, that's part of why Harry Potter was written is that J.K. Rowling had this vision for getting more boy readers in the middle grade age. Yeah. And so I think one of the the ways that we can help solve that problem is that dads can take more of a a reading I can't even Yeah. So so we're talking to all kinds of different families and and some families don't necessarily have that male presence. But, you know, I think about that with, with our boys, where if they're looking between you and me uh, as an example of what a love of reading looks like, I, I feel like I'm falling short in that area, you know? And, and it's, it is kind of a wonder to me that they have taken on such a love of reading if, if I'm supposed to be such a strong influencer of that. Yeah. But, but I do love reading. I, I just have a difficult time with it. And, and so I think, I think that kind of just translates to for, for our boys, you know, like, like Jaden is probably looking more closely to you. Yeah. And Asa, our, our second oldest, he may be looking a little bit closer to me and kind of seeing the rhythm that I take with reading. But even just that little bit that I show them is so powerful. Yeah, it really is. And if this is, if this is something that you care about, not just for your own kids, but for, for other kids, it may be worth looking into how you can volunteer in a classroom once a week or once a month and go and read a book to kids who otherwise don't have an adult reading to them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very often. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to say is just that we can we can look for little moments here and there 
where we can bring books into the family life. So while some of our sons are bathing, I read a separate chapter book to each of them. So it's kind of like our time together. I know that's not going to last forever because they're eventually going to grow out of letting mom in the bathroom with them when they're bathing. (laughs) But for now, I use that time and the oldest we're reading um, the third book in A Wrinkle in Time, the A Wrinkle in Time series. So it's just it's just valuable to bring it in where we can. Yeah trying to think of another time i mean the the audiobooks in the morning while the boys are playing mm-hmm. and we haven't been doing this as much lately but it, as dinner would wind down mm-hmm. you would get a book out and read and and really for your family you know your schedule you know your rhythms but but those can be some of the most enjoyable times i i'm amazed often looking around at our boys when they when they are are into the story, sitting quietly and listening, yeah, and and thinking to myself, how in the world do we have this level of calm right now? <laughs> That's a story you can do, a good story. Yeah, read by the mama. <laughs> all right. Well, I think I think that's all I have on this. Certainly, a lot more that I would love to go into when it comes to talking about reading and the importance of reading. Yeah. We had, we had some really good, I asked the question in the chat, by the way, you've heard us mentioning the chat and I want to bring this out because this is really important to me. This show does not have any sponsors. If, if you noticed we didn't take a break and, and say, Hey, we want to take a moment to tell you about this person who's sponsoring our show. And that's not because we're only five episodes in and we haven't had anybody approach us about that yet. It's because we are not going to have sponsors. We're not going to interrupt the flow of conversation to talk about some product or service that even, even something that is related to family or parenting. We're, we're just not going to do that. Um, this show and other shows on the Sean West network are supported by the Sean West community. And so the, the community is an amazing place, but one of the, one of my favorite features is this chat room where people are able to hang out and listen live while we have this show, have their questions answered in real time. And, and we get to interact with them, not just during the show, but on a daily basis. It's really incredible. And if you are enjoying this and you want to have conversations with and and not just enjoying this, but if if this podcast is a breath of fresh air for you in the landscape of parenting advice and, and that kind of thing, if you feel encouraged and you enjoy the stuff that Rachel and I talk about, there are so many more people like that in the community that you can connect with. And not to mention Rachel and I are also there. <laughs> so go to seanwest.com slash community and check it out. So I asked the question in the chat room earlier. I said, how or what, or I'm sorry, how or when do you read with your kids? And I, I wanted to bring in some of these answers because we, we offered some practical advice and, and sometimes and stuff, but I, wanna, I want our listeners to hear from other folks. So Steph in the chat says, every night we read up to three books. When my oldest was a baby, 
I would read up to nine books at bedtime. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Gabrielle said right before bed and right after school, she would read both important connection times. And Charlotte says, I read a chapter every night before bed, plus whenever we're reading for school. Oh, plus whenever we're reading for school. My six-year-old will often bring me or my husband a book or two at some point during the day. So, so that's kind of fun. If, if your kid brings you a book and says, can you read this to me right now? Yeah. I mean, how do you tell them no? You can't. You can't tell them no. Well, especially not if you listen to episode two. <laughs> Corey says, we read our daughter. We read to our daughter throughout the day if she's interested. Then we have a few books in the evening she enjoys reading. We let her play with books, though, to let her get used to how they work and feel and look. That's a, that's a great piece of advice right there. Just, yeah. And, and that kind of goes back to what I was talking about with Asher and the book that he can chew on and it makes squeak, squeaking noises, but it's got, you know, maybe four or five pages. Yeah. It's just the act of turning quote unquote pages. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's kind of a fun thing, letting them feel how the pages work and, and know that there's, once they turn the page, there's other stuff that they can look at and experience. Yeah. It's pretty neat. All right. Well, Rachel, where can people go to find us online? They can go to InTheBoatWithBen.com. That's right. If you go to InTheBoatWithBen.com, you can listen to all our episodes. We have show notes for our shows uh, with not just links to the information that we have, but but we, we actually do a written out kind of transcript of these episodes. So if you can't listen at the moment, you can... You can read through, get the same information. It's really great. You can subscribe for our newsletter there and we'll send you notifications anytime a new episode comes out. Yes. If you want to find Rachel, she's at racheltolson.com. Mm -hmm. You can follow her on Twitter at Rachel Tolson and you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Tolson. I feel like I need to go read a book now. Let's go. kept wanting to bring this in during the regular part of the show, but I thought it'd be better to bring it in after because it's more of a philosophical conversation. Okay. But I'm really interested to hear what your thoughts are. So I was, I was thinking about the difference between fiction and nonfiction, but I was also thinking about how the line gets kind of blurred between those things where when you read a fictional story, it's written most of the time around some truth or moral. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's, there's definitely truth in it. And with nonfiction, 
it's it's written hopefully representing facts that are true but there is some storytelling going on yeah at the well, same in, time in some it depends on how you how the person writes nonfiction. some people just write uh just cold hard facts some people bring story there there's a nonfiction called yeah. narrative nonfiction. Okay. Which, which is what I usually write. I don't write like the cold hard fact. I, I just can't, I can't separate emotion from the thing that I'm trying to tell people. <laughs> See, this is where your expertise comes in because I was, I was having such a hard time wrestling with this idea. I'm like, but is so is nonfiction really different at all from fiction? Isn't it all just storytelling? And so I, I, I suppose you're right. There are forms of yeah nonfiction that are strictly factual. I mean, cause then you know, memoir is kind of an, an example of crossing. You're not supposed to cross into fiction, but it's told in a story like fiction is. You know, you have dialogue and all of those things. But it's, you could get in really big trouble if it actually is fiction and you're claiming it's a memoir. <laughs> yeah. So. Storytelling is, is so good. Yeah. So, I, well, and, and I say that just thinking about nonfiction, I, I would rather hear a memoir knowing that it was embellished a little bit, but it was a good story than to, to read a memoir that was just the facts and it's kind of bland. Yeah. And, and not to say that people's normal lives aren't interesting, but it's all about the kind of details that you bring well, out yeah, and the way all, that you remember. It's it. all about how you tell the story. I think memoirs are fascinating, but you have to read the right ones. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Are you going to write a memoir? I'm working on one, yes. I'll read that. Yeah, of course you will. <laughs> You're a character. Am I? Ooh, watch out. Oh, no. Hey, stick to the facts <laughs> on that one. Well, no, no, don't stick to the facts. Yeah. <laughs> You're silly. <laughs>